0: And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the word of God.
1: Let's pray one more time together, let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us here this morning and we thank you for these words that we just heard. Uh, These are words that have been given by you. Uh, They are your words, uh, words of life. God, we pray that your spirit would come To give us understanding, and that you would draw us closer to your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, we're continuing in our sermon series going through the book of Ephesians, and we've titled the sermon series, Join Together, Growing Together. And this theme of of unity is something that we see throughout this entire book. what does it mean to be united to God? What does it mean for the church to be one together uh, as, as a collective community? And it's somewhat fitting that we're we're talking about this uh you know right where we are right now, because so many of us were relearning uh what does it mean to be in meaningful relationships and friendships and connections, uh especially as we're in this post-COVID world. And in the passage that we're going to consider this morning, the Apostle Paul, he shares with us this idea of of the power of God's grace. And and in some ways, the grace of God, it, it acts like this glue that joins us to God, also joins us with one another within the church. And so we want to consider uh, the grace of God and and what does it mean for us. And so we're going to look at three things. First, we'll look at why we need the grace of God. Uh, Secondly, we'll look at what does the grace of God do? And then lastly, how does the grace of God work? So first, why we need the grace of God. Uh, So here at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul, he opens up with this mini history lesson. Uh, It wasn't too long ago when the people in the Ephesian church, they had no connection to God, no connection to the good news of Jesus. And he gives this very bleak picture in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, doesn't that sound somewhat offensive to say, and even for us to, to hear? Now, to be clear, Paul isn't saying that the Ephesians have no worth. He's not saying that the Ephesians have no ability to do any good. You know, throughout the Bible, it's very clear that humans have been made, all of us, we've been made for, to have dignity and worth. We've all been made in God's image. And at the same time, we we all have the ability to do good things, to extend kindness, to be compassionate to others. But here, uh, Paul is not saying that the Ephesians were literally dead, but that they were spiritually dead. There was a time when they were not connected to God. Uh, And then Paul goes on to share how there were three There were three things influencing the Ephesian church. He says, following the course of this world or the culture, following the print of the power of the air or the devil, and carrying out the desires of the body and mind. He's talking about themselves. So the three things are culture, the devil ourselves. These are all things that can play a role in our spiritual deadness. And I think what Paul is trying to show us is that there are all these unseen forces that are around us and also within us that may not always be concerned about our good or the good of those around us. Now, th- now clearly, there are evidences of beauty and goodness in our culture. But there are also deep stains of things like greed and violence and of oppression. And oftentimes the environment that we're in can largely shape how we look at the world. So if we're constantly around people who are cynical, then it's not gonna take a long time for us to also see the world with cynicism. If we are looking to social media for how life ought to be, then then we will take the time every day to carefully curate our personal feeds to show how good of a life we're living. And, And Paul also reminds us that there are desires of the body and the mind that that don't lead to flourishing. And to know how true this is, we just have to look at a young child. You know, G and I, we often say how our kids are a, a mirror to our true selves. You know, they have no problems telling you how they truly feel at any given moment. Their honesty, their transparency, are impeccable. You know, so much so that it doesn't, it's not, it's not um, uncommon during the week that our kids will vividly let us know when they do not like what's for dinner that night. But the difference for adults is that we have learned the life skill of restraining our inner selves from coming out into the open. You know there was one time for some petty reason that i was bitter and i was frustrated at g and i don't remember why that was the case and that just shows how petty it was so there was a time where uh we're in our apartment and i'm just sulking not in a good mood right and then at some point a friend of mine calls and so i pick up the phone and then Instantly, the tone of my voice changes. I pick up the phone and I answer and I say, hey, Dave, how's it going? And so my friend would have no clue that I was in this period of just frustration and of annoyance at my wife. But as soon as I end the call with him, the bitterness resumes. When my friend called, I I was able to restrain my true inner self from coming out. And so when Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, I don't think he's all that far off. You know, there is a spiritual deadness in all of us that, that we need to grapple with. There are all kinds of unseen forces and influences that are around us, and within us that can bring ruin to ourselves and to the things around us. And this is why we need the grace of God. Because there is a real spiritual deadness in all of us. And to some degree, no matter how hard we try, we can't get ourselves out of this state. But Paul doesn't stop his, mini- his, his little history lesson with this, doom and gloom story, Uh, but we see that he moves on to secondly tell us uh, what the grace of God does. Starting in verse 4, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, to uh, appreciate what Paul is saying here, we need to go back to the opening pages of the Bible where God created the entire universe to be perfect, and that there was harmony, there was flourishing, there was peace. But at some point, we know that the beauty of this creation became stained and where there was this downward trajectory where the things that became normal after that point were things like conflict and pain and death. And so this bleak reality is something that Paul has in mind as he's writing verses 1 through 3. But then after giving this very sobering picture of our reality, we have perhaps the most powerful two words in all of the Bible when Paul starts in verse 4, but God. You see, despite the entire created order being ruined, God, he wouldn't allow this downward trajectory of brokenness to be how the story continues on and also how it's going to end. God would not just simply sit idly by and allow everything that he has made to be destroyed, but he would take action because that's the kind of God that he is. Paul says that God is rich, in mercy god loves us with a great love so god is not someone who who calculates how he allocates all of his resources he's not stingy with how he's going to renew and restore the world paul says that he is rich in mercy his love is great And then Paul goes on to show us what this actually looks like. In verse 5, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so here, Paul, he gives us a picture of what the grace of God does. And the grace of God, it joins us to Jesus. Paul says that the grace of God joins us to Jesus in his resurrection. He says God made us alive together with Christ. And the grace of God joins us to Jesus in his ascension. He says God raised us up with him. And the grace of God joins us to Jesus in his session. God seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And and Paul is saying so much in these verses. It's not as though God is this lifeguard who tosses out a floatie so that We don't drown in the ocean but rather the picture that we have is that we are sunk all the way to the bottom of the deepest ocean floor and then god he leaves his palace in heaven in the person of jesus he comes down to the bottom to that ocean floor he grabs us brings us up to dry land He resuscitates us so that we're alive. But he doesn't stop there. He then brings us into his palace. We are given royal clothes. We are given a seat right next to Jesus at his dinner table every single day. What the grace of God does is that it joins us To Jesus that everything that is true of Jesus is now true of us we were dead and now we're alive we were oppressed now we are free we were slaves of sin and now we are kings of righteousness so the grace of God joins us to Jesus and what it does is that it completely reverses the power of death on us and so we need the grace of god because there is a real spiritual deadness in all of us and the grace of god it brings us out of that spiritual darkness and joins us to jesus everything that is true of jesus is now true of us but the power of grace it doesn't come just automatically something it needs to happen and that's what paul shares with us next which is how the grace of god works in in verse 8 paul says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast now the way that the grace of god works, is that grace is a gift to be received, not a reward to be earned. It's a gift to be received, not a reward to be earned. But isn't it true that to some degree, we we have a hard time receiving gifts of grace? Sometimes we think that Receiving a gift of grace means that we're now in that person's debt. And we try to make a note of how can we return the favor? How can we pay that person back? Or there are other times where it's hard for us to receive because we might think, oh, this is us admitting to the fact that we are weak. We don't like feeling as though someone has to help us and receive help from the outside. And so it's hard to receive grace because we don't like being in someone else's debt. We don't like admitting to our own weakness. And so instead of receiving great gifts of grace, we would rather earn rewards of grace. And Paul knows how true this is about us, which is why he says the grace of God is not your own doing. He knows that deep down, we want it to be of our own doing. We want the credit. And he keeps going on. He says that, the, that grace is a gift of God he knows that we would feel better if we earned all of this and he also says so that no one may boast and don't we love being able to boast you know we we might not be the types that that brag and and let it be known to everyone and everyone about what we have done but there are those moments where we might just boast to ourselves, to make us feel like we matter, that we've done something. And in our passage, what's interesting is that Paul says not just once, but twice, that we have been saved by grace. He says it first in verse 5 when he's talking about how the grace of God is joining us, to, to Jesus. It's as if he can't wait to say this truth until he gets to verse 8. And so he, he just, just has that urge to say that you've been saved by grace, and he just inserts it wherever he can because he knows just how fundamental and foundational this truth is. And he, and he also clarifies and says that the grace of God is to be received through faith. What does that mean? Well, receiving grace by faith, it means that we don't look to ourselves, but we look to someone else. Receiving grace by faith means we we look to Jesus. We put all of our trust in what God has done for us through him. And friends, it's true that we do owe God for all that he has done. And this debt is utterly crushing, and it's going to crush any of us, even if we try to make some kind of a dent in that debt because of the immense work that God has done for us in Jesus. But the good news that we have is that Jesus took on our debt that he was ultimately crushed. That he would die on the cross, take on our penalty, so that we would never have to feel the weight of that debt ever. It's true that we were utterly helpless to get ourselves out of this spiritual dead state that we're in, but the good news is that Jesus, he would come and he would rescue us. He would come and he would save us from this despair, something we can never do for ourselves. And so if we look at verse 8 again, we can kind of rephrase it, saying we, we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing, but this is the doing of Jesus. It is the gift of God, not a result of our works, but the works of of Jesus so that no one may boast and so the gospel it is a story that tells us that we we are saved by works but not by our works but by the works of Jesus and so the invitation for us is to trust and believe that everything that Jesus did was done perfectly for us brought us out from that dead life into new life and so we no longer need to look to ourselves for boasting but but now when we boast we can actually boast of Jesus and what he has done and so the way that the grace of god works is that grace is a gift to be received not a reward to be earned the reward of salvation, it was earned by Jesus for us. And if we receive it by faith, we look to Jesus, we can put all of our trust in him for what he has done. And if we do this, I think this is one of the ways that we can deepen our relationship with God. Because whenever we we truly and whenever we wholeheartedly receive a gift, what happens? We, We honor the person that has given us the gift. So earlier when Paul said that God is rich in mercy, that his love is great, when we receive the gift of grace, we honor the mercy and the love of God. When we receive the gift of grace, we also honor the gift itself, Jesus. We honor all the work that he did on our behalf. We praise him for all that he has done for us. And so, friends, God invites us to receive this gift of grace that there are no strings attached. We, We are no longer in his debt. We don't owe God anything because just as we sung before, Jesus paid it all. So God, he looks on us as our loving, heavenly father. He comes to us. He says, beautiful child, here is my grace. Receive it. It's all for you. No strings attached. Receive and enjoy this. And so whenever we receive the grace of God as a gift, it it completely changes our relationship with God. Because instead of constantly wondering if we're doing enough, are we obeying enough? Are we keeping the rules? Instead, we can follow Jesus. We can obey and do what he says out of pure joy, pure delight. When we've received the grace of God as a gift, following Jesus becomes less about, I have to do this, but it becomes more about, I, I want to do this. When we receive the grace of God as a gift. Following Jesus becomes less about keeping the rules to pay back God, but it's about obeying what Jesus taught us to do because we know that it pleases God. And when we receive the grace of God as a gift, following Jesus is less about an obligation, it's less about a duty, but it's about following him out of joy. It's less about duty. It's more about delighting in our God. And so friends, consider God's invitation to receive his grace as a gift wholeheartedly. There are no strings attached. There is no debt to repay. His mercy is rich. His love is great. We've been saved like grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful news that despite being spiritually dead, you did not allow us to, to perish, but because of your mercy, the richness of your mercy, the greatness of your love, you brought rescue, and salvation and God we, we confess that we, we we feel as though we need to contribute to our own salvation and you know how true that is but God we thank you for taking that burden off of us because you knew that we would be crushed by it you knew that there would be no way for us to repay you for the debt that is owed but you sent your son Jesus to be crushed by the debt of darkness and of sin and death. But he would become alive. He would resurrect. He would ascend. He would be seated at your right hand. And and through grace, we are joined to Jesus. What a wonderful news of redemption that you have given to us. And so, God, I pray that we would receive this wholeheartedly, that it would change the way we relate to you, And that we would be people full of grace to one another, to our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, so that more would encounter this wonderful grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.